You know, one of the things that I've done for years is I've, I've been able to work with kids. I've loved working with kids. I started in Sunday school 20 years ago teaching Sunday school. Uh, I had the chance to work at Madison House and uh, continue doing uh, kids' church at church, kids' camps, all sorts of fun and stuff. I love, that's probably why my wife and I ended up having five kids. I think that was probably more me than my wife. But we had five kids because I love working with kids. And one of my favorite things is once you get kids talking, you never know what's going to come out of their mouth, right? Right? And so one of my favorite things with kids is they come out with these outrageous proclamations, right? You guys heard kids do this? Well, well, my dad, my dad lived on the the. The moon. He lived on the moon. And you're like, no, he didn't. Yeah, he did. Another kid will, well, my mom, she's a secret assassin. I'm like, your mom's a kinder, kindergarten teacher. She's not an assassin. You never know what comes out of kids' mouths. In fact, I remember years ago, I, I was coaching Little League. I was coaching Little League. And literally, I'm gathered with the kids. Uh, they're sitting on the grass. And one of the little kids says, hey, coach, hey, coach. He said, one time I was up at bat. And I, and I hit the ball, and I dropped my bat, I ran over and got my glove, and I ran out to the outfield, and I caught the ball before it hit the ground. I'm like, no, you didn't. He's like, yes, I did. I'm like, no, you didn't. Then this other little kid says, coach, 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 I got something even better than that. He said, coach, one time my dad took me to the Yakima River, and it's like 50 feet wide. And coach, I jumped over the entire river without touching the water. I'm like, no, you didn't. It's like, yes, I did. Kids, outrageous proclamations. It's cute when kids do it, right? We, we think that's so cute. It's different when adults make outrageous claims like that. Like adults, we're not supposed to talk like that. Yet when it comes to our faith, how many of us as adults make those outrageous, unbelievable proclamations, right? This is where Maybe your marriage, and you're like, you guys are just fighting, and you guys aren't getting along, and your marriage is on the rocks. You're constantly bickering, but then you go on social media, and you're like, oh, man, look at this Bible verse. My marriage is so strong. Life is so good. Hashtag blessed. That's an outrageous proclamation. Your, your, your marriage is falling apart, but you're trying to act like everything is all put together. This is where sometimes we struggle with sin, with, 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 with anger, or pornography, or, or pride, or, or, or greed, or whatever it happens to be. We're struggling with the sin in our life, but then we go into our small group, and somebody says, how can I pray for you? And instead of asking us to pray for that thing we're struggling with, we're like, well, you know, my knee kind of hurts. I think I tweaked it. Would you pray for my knee to get better? See, that's this outrageous proclamation, denying what's really going on and trying to divert it to something that doesn't seem as bad, Right? Why is it when it comes to our faith that we struggle with this childish behavior? Right? I mean, think about this. Like, I remember for me growing up, like Saturday morning, what did you want to do on Saturday morning? Saturday morning cartoons, right? That was like, I wanted to watch all the cartoons. But the thing is, in my house, my mom had this dumb rule. Maybe you grew up with this dumb rule. The dumb rule was you had to clean your bedroom before you could go watch Saturday morning cartoons. Now, to a 10-year-old version of me, cleaning my room was shoving everything in the closet and underneath the bed. Look, I'm done. The, the, the room is clean. 
Now, it's worse when you have teenagers because they take like three-week-old pizza and shove it underneath their bed, and you find it with like mold growing all over it, like after the fact. It's pretty gross, right? But that is how we would justify cleaning our rooms. And let me just say, let's not judge our teenagers, right? Because in reality, how many of us hide our struggles in the closet, How many of us are dealing with sin and stuff in our life and struggling in life? Maybe not even sin, just struggling, but we kind of sweep it under the rug. We're afraid of other people's opinions. What would they think about me if they knew I was struggling? What would, what would, what would, uh, I want to appear, I want people to think I'm more godly than I really am. Maybe, Maybe we fear other people and how they would judge us. Maybe we're concerned, well, if they knew the truth about me, they wouldn't want to be my friend anymore. So for many of us, just like that 10-year-old kid, we hide our junk underneath the mattress, we put it in the closet, and then we put a smile on our face. We pretend that everything is good while we're hiding our sin. Here's the thing, though. Our sin can never be hidden from God. He sees it. He knows it all. He sees everything in the closet. He sees everything under the rug. And here's the great thing is even though he sees it, that doesn't cause him to love us any less. He still chooses to love us and to be our friend. And because of that, it's almost almost ridiculous that we pretend to be something we're not, right? I mean, like, imagine this. Imagine, I heard the story that there was a zoo. It was a popular zoo. And when you're a popular zoo, you make a lot of money and you need the money to keep it going. Well, one day at the zoo, the gorilla died. And the zoo keeper's like, man, the gorilla, like, the, like he's, he's a primary, like, like, like everybody wants to watch the gorilla. So he's like, what am I going to do? I know what I'm going to do. He hires a man to put on a gorilla costume and fill in for the gorilla. Right? Can you picture that? Ridiculous? I know. The guy shows up for his first day of work. He's got the gorilla costume on. And he's like, well, I, I don't know how to be a gorilla. So he starts, oh no, <laughs> starts acting like a gorilla. And he gets a little close to the edge of the, of, the, of the gorilla enclosure. And he falls off the edge into the lion enclosure. Now this is when it gets serious, right? The man's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I'm going to die. Starts screaming and yelling until the lion comes over and says, hey, hey, be quiet or we're both going to lose our jobs. <laughs> Listen, if God knows what's in our closet, if God knows what we hide underneath our rug, and if that doesn't change his love for us, isn't it silly for us to pretend to be something we're not? I mean, if God looks at our worst moment and still chooses to say, I love you, you're still my friend, I'm not turning away from you, then how foolish is it us to pretend to be something we're actually not? See, this month here at Restoration Church, we've been talking about our core values. These are things that we want to direct uh, how we live with one another, how we act with one another, how we interact in our community These are things that we want to be known for. And I'm thankful that we've had the chance to look at these core values. We talked the very first week about we want to be a a people that love outrageously. Which means that we look for other people's interests above our own. 
When we come to church and we say church is not about me, it's about me trying to figure out how I can love those people around me. We said we're going to be a church that is going to be a gospel people. Which means we're not going to come and listen to a pastor give you opinion on the best way to live life. We're going to come back to the gospel again and again and again. Because the gospel is where growth and, and truth is found. We said we're going to be a church that's biblically rooted. Again, you don't want to hear my opinions for life. We have been given a book that's meant to be a guide for life. So we're going to be a biblically rooted people. Last week, Jake talked about how we as a church, how we belong together. That as, as believers in Christ, we've been adopted into his family, which means we are brothers and sisters. We belong together. And so we're going to love one another. We're going to walk alongside one another. We're going to pursue unity because it matters. And today we're going to deal with uh, maybe a touchy topic. Can I say that? Maybe it's a little bit of a touchy topic. Something that Christians, including myself and including many of us in this room, struggle with. And that's the temptation maybe to minimize our sin, maybe to hide some junk in our life and put a smile on our face. So we look the good Christian part. We look like we have it all together. You know what we look like? We look like little kids making those outrageous claims. Look how awesome I am. Look how great I am. As the people around us are saying, yeah, but you're not. We know there's some struggle in your life. So today, we're going to talk about how we can be a place where we celebrate progress rather than perfection. How can we be a place where it is okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way? So we're going to wrestle through this idea where we aren't pursuing perfection, which leads to hypocrisy, but we're pursuing progress, where we're all on this journey of our Christian faith. Some of us are a little further along than others, but we're all on this journey, and we'll find that the journey doesn't end at some level of spirituality. We don't ever arrive on this earth. We arrive and we finish our journey when we are face-to-face -face with our Savior. So this morning, uh, we were in Philippians chapter 3, and uh, Philippians is such a, a phenomenal book written by the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul, he's probably like the greatest Christian of all time. Can I say that? He's the GOAT. He's the number one. At this point of writing the book of Philippians, he's been a Christian for 30 years, okay? He has written, he's written 13 books of the Bible. He's planted 14 churches, like, this guy is like a super Christian. In fact, in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul describes an experience where he says, I was, I was caught up into the third heaven, which is where God, the dwelling place of God. And Paul says, I saw and heard things that are unimaginable. Like, any of us been to the third heaven, the dwelling place of God? Have we seen that? Like, this is, Paul is just this, amazing guy. And so he writes to the Corinthians and he says in chapter 3 verses 10 and 11, he says, as a Christian, I want to, I want nothing more than to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings that one day I would see Jesus face to face. And I don't know about you, but I read that and I'm like, of course Paul says that. Like Paul is up here. Paul's a saint. Of course he says that. Of course he's got this Christian thing figured out. Of course he's arrived. 
But what about the rest of us? Like, I'm not no Paul. I'm not that spiritual. I'm not as good as him. Of course he says that. What about the people like me who still have some struggle? And I love this because this is why we read this text today. Paul said in verse 12, not that I've already obtained or that I'm already perfect. Paul says, listen, listen, I'm still on the process. I'm still on the journey. I have not yet arrived. I still struggle in my faith. I still struggle through sin. I still am learning and repenting and changing. In fact, in 1 Timothy, uh, Paul says this. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. And I'm like, whoa, 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 Paul, you're this uber Christian. You're the goat. You're number one. Yet he says, I'm the chief of sinners. You recognize that humility? Do you know what a, you know what a comfort that should be to us? Like as, as Paul, the number one Christian of all time, like he says, I still struggle. Like, like, amen to that? Does that bring you any comfort? Like here's Paul who's up here and he's like, I struggle through my faith. Amen, brother. Thank you. That encourages me. Because somewhere along the line, I don't know when it was, but somewhere along the line, we've misunderstood what faith is. Somewhere along the line, we said that faith means that you are, a, if you're going to be a Christian, that you've got to be as perfect as you can, right? Somewhere along the line, it's almost like, well, we've learned it, we read it, and, and because we understand it, we just fake it, right? I mean, how many of us live this life? And so when we gather with church, we gather with other Christians, what do we do? Well, maybe out of our arrogance, maybe out of our pride, maybe because we're afraid that we'll be thought of less by others, maybe because we want to appear more spiritual than other people, maybe because we feel like everybody else is trying to be perfect and I have to try and look like them. So what do we do? We gather with the church and we play the part. We minimize our struggle. We sweep it under the rug. We shove it in the closet. And on the way of the church, what do we do? We yell at our, we, we threaten our kids. You guys better be good. You better be good. And then we show up to church and we put on that mask. I'm not, I'm not talking about an N95 mask. We put on the mask, we put a smile on our face. And, and the greater says, how are you doing today? And our week has been crummy. Our kids are horrible. Our marriage is horrible. Work sucks. And we're like, I'm blessed. I'm good, man. Thanks. So good. How many of us live our life like this? I'll tell you what. This is happening in churches all across our country this morning. People's lives are falling apart. Yet we walk into church on Sunday. How you doing, brother? Man, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for asking. I'm doing so good. I mean, I've got, I've got pastor friends that I know and I love. But they are so consumed with looking the part. They're so consumed with what others think of them that this is their reality. They hide their true self and they put on this fake spirituality. I'm blessed. Look how good I am. You know what this is? This is that little boy who says, look, I can jump over the Yakima River without touching the water. That is what it is. No, you can't. 
Why, why do we do this? Why do we say these things? Why do we act this? Do we, do we think this actually makes us a better Christian? Do we think this makes us a better Christian? Do you think this helps the people around us? Actually, I'd say this. Do you know how devastating it is to the testimony of the church when we pretend to be better than we really are? See, I think, I think the world around us, I think they look at Christians, I think they look at the church, I don't think they expect us to be perfect. That's a little secret for you. I don't think the world expects us to be perfect. But you know what happens when we pretend to be? We become hypocrites. And that turns people off from the church faster than we can say amen. That is just the reality. And then what happens is here we're as Christians, we're sweeping our junk under the rug, we're putting a smile on our face and acting like everything is fine. And guess what happens when, when new believers come into the church? Guess what happens when people who are, are seeking God, who are looking for answers, guess what happens when people who are struggling come to the church? They look around and see all these smiley, happy, perfect people. They say, I don't fit in here. Man, if this is what Christianity is, all these people that have it all together, like, am I even a Christian? Do, do I even belong here with all these people that have it together and I'm struggling and I'm, I'm, I'm figuring this thing out? Listen, Christian maturity, genuine faith, it's not a destination that you arrive Christian maturity is not us getting to a level of, of godliness, of, 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 of I'm good enough, I know enough, I've arrived at some level of spirituality, I don't struggle with sin. No, Christian maturity is an honest awareness of who we really are and what we are not yet. That is what Christian maturity is. Christian maturity is, hey, this is what the Lord's done in me and I recognize I still have some ways to go. That is maturity. That is what Paul's trying to talk about here. In fact, in my own life, what I found is the longer that I follow Jesus, the longer I've been a Christian, the more I see my selfishness and my pride and my sin. The longer I follow Jesus, the more I recognize my need to grow and to change. And maybe, maybe some of you are, are, are got the spiritual thing figured out more than I have. But for me, my spiritual life has been this ongoing cycle. This ongoing cycle where I learn a little bit more about Jesus. And then I'm confronted with more sin and humility. I have to repent and apologize and try and make that right. And then it's like the process repeats itself over and over and over again. Anybody else find that a little bit discouraging? Like if the Christian life is a struggle, like, like how do we not lose hope? Well, here's what Paul says. He says, not that I've already arrived or if I'm already perfect, but I press on. This word press on, you guys don't have to learn about what the original language means. Uh, but the idea behind it is I chase fervently. I, I press on, I, I, I go with all my might. Despite the fact that I'm being humble and I recognize my weaknesses, 
Paul says, I press on to make it my own because Christ has me as his own. In fact, the Christian standard version, I like that version better. He says, I press on because I've already been taken hold of by Christ. Did you hear that? He said, I press on because I'm being held by Christ. See, the incredible thing about faith, and this is something that even as Christians, we need to be reminded of again and again. Is Christianity is not us pursuing Jesus and hoping to catch him because we can do enough. Christianity is simply knowing that we are held by him. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Christianity is us knowing that we place our faith in him and he's the one who holds us. Even when we struggle, even when we drop the ball, he still holds us. This is what Paul's saying. In fact, Scripture says that when we have believed in Jesus as the Son of God, when we've believed what he accomplished on the cross in our place, when we've received him as our Savior, that we belong to him. And he holds us, and we are his. And because of that, because Paul knows he's held by Jesus, Paul says, I don't have to fake it. I don't have to try and look the part I don't have to pretend to be better than I really am. I don't have to put on a mask on Sunday morning. I can be real because I already know, I already know that I belong to Jesus. And he's not going to drop me. He's not going to leave me. He's going to fulfill his promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, this is what maturity looks like. You want to know the kind of people you ought to look up to? It's not the people that stand on a platform and pretend to have it all together. We got to look for people who are humble enough to acknowledge their weakness. Despite the fact that they haven't arrived, they acknowledge your weakness and then they press on. They press on knowing that they belong to him. The penalty of sin has been paid for. That he has taken hold of us. That we've been adopted into his family. In fact, Philippians 1, Paul wrote and said that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. How good is that? Despite the fact that we dropped the ball, he just said if God began a work in you, if he's holding you, he's going to finish his job. He's going to finish it. You don't have to fake it. He's got you. See, here we are as a people. We're prone to wander, right? It's easy for us to stumble and forget the things of grace. It's easy for us to get a cold and hard heart towards other people. We can be poor at sharing our faith in our community. We can be judgmental to others that are different than us. Yet despite that, why would we press on? Why would we continue in our faith? Why would we keep gathering with the church? Paul says there's one explanation. That is because Jesus has prayed a great price for you. And you are kept by him. And he's not done with you yet. There's still more that God wants to do in you and through you. So Paul continues in verse 13 and he says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. See, Paul is using this running analogy. Running is a horrible thing. I hate it, but I love it as well. 
Paul is saying Christianity is, is, is a race. And it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And so he's saying, listen, when you are running and, and you're humble enough to acknowledge your struggles, you press on and you forget what lies behind you. You know, you know what one of the names for Satan is he's called the accuser of the brethren. And I think one of Satan's thing, greatest tax to play on us is he wants us to keep looking back at all the dumb things we've done in the past. He wants us to live in it. He wants us to constantly look back and be defined by all of our failures. Because if he can get us to look backwards and see all the times we screwed up, we become consumed by that. And we go into despair. Where we're looking and saying, man, I feel like I need to keep running this race. But I look behind me and look at all those dumb things I did. Man, I'm never going to overcome this. There's no hope for me. I, I keep making the same mistake over and over and over again. Like, like I take one step forward and three steps back. In fact, in 1954, there was a race called the Miracle Mile. I don't know if you remember this in history. It's a great story. In Miracle Mile, you had John Landy, who was the world record holder running against Roger Bannister. This race featured the first race where two people ran a mile under four minutes. That's an incredible time. That's just crazy. Those people are sick. They can run that fast. But during this race, they had this amazing race. And Landy, who was a world record holder, he was leading the entire race, four laps around the track. He's leading until the final home front. And as he gets into the final stretch, Landy turns over his left shoulder to look back to see where his competitor was. And as soon as he turned back, Roger, Roger Bannister took off on the right side and passed him and won the race and set a world record. You know, when that race was over, all the commentators were, were interviewing John Landy, Landy and saying, hey, hey, what happened? And Landy said, listen, the reason I lost this race is because I looked back. In fact, the quote that John Landy had was, Lot's wife, she looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt. I'm the only person who was turned into bronze for looking back. And you see this, there's actually a... a, a statue of this moment where John Landy's looking back and, and you see it's crazy. But you know what Paul just said? Paul just said, listen, because we are kept by Jesus, because we are held by Jesus, he said your past doesn't define you. You hear that? Because you are held by Jesus, because Jesus paid for your past, your past doesn't define you. You don't have to constantly look back and see that. Because you belong to him. And so Paul says, we forget what lies behind us. He says, verse 13, we forget what lies behind us. Staring at what lies ahead. And we press on towards the goal, which is eternity with Jesus. You see that word press on again. He says, we strain towards the goal. We go with all of our might towards the goal. And here's what's so important. I want you to notice what the goal is. See, so often, we make our goal some of the things that God offers his children. Like, there's, there's benefits to being a child of God. God makes some great promises and offers to his children, right? Like, in Scripture, we see God offers healing to his children. Like, how many of us emotionally feel, healing sounds great right about now. Like, that, yeah, I want that. He says, I'll give you abundant life. How many of you want abundant life? That sounds, yeah, I want me some of that. 
Like, like I want some of what God offers. He offers peace. He offers joy. Man, I want that, don't you? That sounds great. And so we make that our prize, our goal, and we start pursuing these things. We focus on those things in life. And I'll be honest, I think we become completely misled. Because you know what those things are? Healing and peace and joy and abundant life. You know what those things are? Those are the fruit of the prize. Those are the fruit of being a child of God. What is the prize? Look look what Paul said. The prize, the prize is eternity with Jesus. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is what the prize is. This is where as Christians, we've got to get our priorities right. We need to, to long for what we really need, which isn't just fruit. What we need is, is God himself. And, and what happens is the moment that we die, the moment we die, we enter into eternity with our Savior. That is the moment that we arrive in our Christian life. That is the moment that we are completed. That is a moment we no longer have to press on. We've, we've got the prize. We've got the goal. We've got the, the result. We are fully mature and no longer stronger, no longer have to struggle. The moment that we come face to face with our Savior, that is when our Christian life is complete. That is when we no longer struggle. struggle. That is when, when we no longer have to deal with the, the difficulty of life. In fact, here's, here's just a summary. Here, here's, here's this passage in a nutshell. Again, here's Paul, the number one Christian of all time, the goat. And he tells the church, listen, I don't have it all figured out. I'm not perfect. I'm still working through stuff in my life and my faith. And he says, here's the key though. Maturity is when we acknowledge where we really are and what we are not. And then we press on, not being stuck in the past, but we press on and keep running to the goal, which is the prize, which is eternity with Jesus. Here's our big idea today. Here's here's what I want you to hear very clearly. Genuine Christianity is an ongoing journey that will be finished when we come face to face with Jesus. That is when our journey is complete, when we are face to face with him. Not when we reach some level of spirituality. Not when we read enough scripture and memorize enough verses. Not when we feel like we can minimize our struggle and look the part. No, our journey is complete when we are face to face with him. In fact, the goal for this series, the sermon series on family values, our goal for this series is that we would cast vision for the type of environment and culture that we want to create here at Restoration Church. I don't know about you, but what I want for this place, what I want for us as a church, is that we would be a place that God would bless. That we would be a place that God would draw people to come to know him. That God would use us to be a place that God would draw people that they could grow deeper in love with him and grow in their faith and become more like Christ. The question is, do you realize that the Christian faith is a marathon. Which means when we look in this room, 
There's different people in different parts of the race. Some people are just beginning. They're just, just started the journey. Others of us, man, we've been following, we've been on this journey a long time. None of us have arrived because the goal is still in front of us. Every one of us, we are still growing. The key is, I want us to be a place. We recognize we're all on this journey. It's okay to not be okay. But we're looking for progress, not perfection. Which means, when we're on that journey, when we're on that marathon race, when we're on the trail, listen, you might fall down a few times, but we're not looking for you to pretend to have it. We're looking for you just to take one foot and put it in front of the other. You stumble and fall down, you get back up and take another step. That's what we want to be. A place where people don't feel judgment because they're not as good as others. A place where it's okay to not be okay, but we're looking for progress, not perfection. But let me say this. As we talk about values and culture, culture is not created because we have crafted some cute little statements that we put on the wall behind us or on our website. That doesn't create a culture in the church. Culture is created by how you and I actually live and interact towards one another. That is how we create culture in the church. And if we're going to be a place that prioritizes progress over perfection, that prioritizes progress instead of the hypocrisy that goes with this idea of perfection, I want to make this a little bit personal to you. To say if we're going to be a place like that, it's going to require every one of us to participate. So we're going to be that kind of a place. First thing I'm going to ask you this morning, are you humble enough? Are you humble enough to acknowledge your struggles? Are we, you and I, are we willing to humble ourselves, to set aside our pride, to set aside our fear of what others will think about us. To set aside the facade that we create for ourselves where we want to look like we're so righteous and so spiritual and so whatever. Are we willing to humble ourselves and actually be real? Are we willing to take off our dang masks? And I'm not talking about our ma- I'm talking about the smiley face that we put on on Sunday morning and say, look how blessed I am. How we put these, uh, these special pictures on social media. We got to find just the right one. Hashtag blessed. Now, are we willing to set that stuff aside to be real with where we are, to acknowledge where we are struggling? Let me ask you this. What have you been sweeping underneath your rug? What is in your closet? Is it some sort of sin? Are you struggling with lust? Are you numbing your pain with, with alcohol? Or, or do you have to smoke to feel better? Are you struggling with pride or anger? Judgmentalism? What is your struggle? And maybe, maybe it's not sin. Maybe it's just, man, I've got all these kids. I don't even know what to do with them. You know, what I found as a parent, like, I don't know about you, but like, man, there's a, happens where I got this little baby and it kind of feels like, man, I kind of figure out the baby thing. And then they turn into a toddler and I'm like, oh, it's all over again. I got to restart. 
And then they turn into teenagers. They're like, ah, I thought I had this figured out. Now they're teenagers. I have no clue what I'm doing all over again. Like, can we acknowledge how difficult that process is? Or are we going to continue to say, oh, man, I got it all figured out? Maybe it's your marriage. All we do is argue. Man, we haven't been intimate in two years. Like, like, can we acknowledge our struggle? My workplace, man, it's driving me crazy. I have such a hard time having a testimony. Can we be acknowledged with our struggle? Can we be real with that? Or will we continue to sweep that under the rug and show up on Sunday and put a smile on our face? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm so good. See, Satan wants you to think that you're the only one who struggles with whatever it is. He wants you to think that you are alone. He wants you to think, what's wrong with you? You're the only one who struggles with this. But you know what happens? And this is, this is the benefit of the church. This is the benefit of being a part of the family of God. Is when we can be real with one another, guess what? You don't have to struggle alone. How amazing is that? You don't have to struggle alone. If you are real with your stuff, guess what? There's people who are saying, man, I raised my teenagers. I went through those years where it's super difficult. Let me walk alongside you. I'm not going to solve all your problems. Let me just walk alongside you. Listen, your marriage is a struggle. Let me walk alongside you. I mean, this is where we want to be a place that creates opportunity for people to get the help they need. But if we're not willing to acknowledge that we've needed the help ourselves, there's a beauty when the church can be honest with where we are we can walk alongside and say hey you know what you're struggling through this you're struggling with alcohol let's walk through that together you're struggling with with whatever it happens to be you're not alone I'm going to walk alongside you to help you stop looking back to help you look forward to press on to the goal that is eternity with Jesus So you can continue on this journey and put one step in front of the other. And guess what? As you do that, you'll find growth. You'll become more like Christ. You'll overcome some things. And then God will reveal some more things and you'll overcome those things. And that's the journey that we are on. You see, the church, here's this picture of the church. The church is supposed to be a hospital where we bring in those that are struggling, that are wounded, And we love them, remind them of the truth that they are kept by Jesus. And then we run the race together, pressing on to the goal that is eternity with Christ Jesus. Will we be a people that will humble ourselves and be honest with our struggles? Now listen, I I recognize that as a, a pastor and a leader, this includes me. And I'm just going to share this. You know, last week, uh, last week, uh, we got some new equipment. And I was so excited to come in on Sunday morning and, and, and put this new equipment to work. And some of our team said, you know, we're not ready for it. We need a little bit more time to play with it. And I'll be honest, my pride was hurt. And I got mad. And I was a jerk. Capital J-E-R-K. I was rude. I was mean. Because of my stinking pride and then a few minutes before service we gathered with a couple of our elders and we're going to pray over our time together and i'm like here i'm supposed to lead this church and i'm just a big idiot i'm just a big idiot 
I had to make a, had a couple conversations this week of saying, you know what? I was a jerk on Sunday. I'm sorry. I apologize. I, there might be some of you in here and you're like, man, Kevin, you were a jerk to me last week. Let this be my apology to you. I'm sorry. I was in a good mood. I'll tell you what, I'm on this journey just like you. When we can be honest with our struggles, and there's an ability to walk through life together. Number two, if we're going to be a place where it's okay to not be okay, we have to be willing to give others grace instead of judgment. Our world is a broken place. Can we agree to that? People are struggling. What are people experiencing from you? What are they feeling from you? I've got a pastor. Uh, I've got a friend who's a pastor. His name is Jim, and he's in Modesto. And a year and a half ago, Jim decided he was going to run for city council of his town. And so he ran, and his opponent in that city council race was someone who was complete opposite of him politically, spiritually, socially. Every, it was just a complete opposite of him. A guy, uh, his opponent ran on the platform uh, uh, all about gay rights, and that was all he would talk about. And so here's Jim as a pastor trying to seek the good of his city, running against this guy, and Jim said, you know, I have an opportunity here. And he said, I made a priority to befriend that man and to love him. And that's what he did over the course of that election. He pursued a friendship with his opponent. He listened. He cared for that man. I'll tell you, Jim didn't win the election. The other man won the election. But while Jim lost the election, he gained a friend. And because of the friendship that Jim was able to pursue with this man, listen, they had this respect that began to show up. This man was so antagonistic to the church, he essentially said, Jim, what you do for a living is a fake. Yet, there became this mutual respect between one another because of the love that Jim showed him. They ended up starting a radio program together where you've got a politician and a pastor trying to figure out how to seek the best for their city. I got together with Jim a couple weeks ago. We do a leadership cohort. Got together with Jim and he said, you know, we had 50 people in our church that left our church, that split off of our church because I pursued a friendship publicly with this man. Listen, Jim never, he never, ever uh, wavered in his biblical convictions. He stood for truth. He simply chose to show this man grace instead of judgment. You know, Jim said, despite the difficulty of uh, people leaving his church, he said, a couple weeks ago, I was talking to this man after the radio program, and he said, you know, Jim, I've hated the church, and I do. I don't believe in it. He said, but you know, there is a part of me that has questions about life after death. He said, at some point when I'm ready, I said, there's not a church I would step into in this town. But I'll come to yours. I'll have a conversation with you. How do we be a place like that? 
Let me ask you, what judgment have you harbored to other people? Maybe because of the way they, they look. Maybe because they sin differently than you. Maybe because they're different than you politically. See, I'm, I'm passionate. The reason that I'm here as a pastor is I want to see lives transformed. Do you know, when I read my Bible, you know where I see lives changed? You know where I see lives transformed? It's not from the Pharisees and their judgmental attitudes towards other people. I see lives transformed from the love that Jesus showed sinners. From Jesus showing love to the woman in adultery, to the woman at the well, when Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners. Would we be a place, would we be a people that extend grace to other people to recognize, you know what, we're all on a journey. Some of us a little further than others. But I can extend grace to you knowing that my goal for you is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And it's okay to not be okay. And if we can extend grace to one another, we might just be able to walk with that person. And as they stumble and fall, as we're all going to do, we might just be able to walk with that person to say, hey, let me help you take the next step and get back up one step after another. Let's pray.